All right, well, we're going to get into the Word together today, and you got a double feature today. You've got Sugi and myself, and we're going to dig into some of what we've been reading in our Rooted Bible reading. And, and so you've got your notes in your bulletin, or it's attached to this audio, or it's attached to this video, or it's in the church app. You can find the notes all over the place, but you can follow along. But let's give it up for Sugi as he comes and gets us started today. How are you doing, Choir Bible Church? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> so, all right, so let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit, Lord. I ask you to just um, meet with us as we study your word and see what you have, in say, you have to say to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week we're reading, um, actually the other week, we're reading Genesis, and I was reading... I got my sermon from Genesis 30 and from verses 25 to 43. I'm going to paraphrase so I don't have to read all of it. This is the story of Jacob, right? And he has just finished his um, labor to Laban so he could marry his daughter, Rachel. And he has worked for Laban for 14 years, okay? And he wants, now he wants to return to Canaan where his, you know, where his forefathers was from. And... But Labor, uh, Laban, he's eager to keep Jacob because Jacob has been a blessing and his, all of his crops and all of his uh, flocks have been growing. And so Laban pleads for a deal with Jacob, right? And, he, and Jacob, he agrees, he makes an agreement, you know, he's going to raise his livestock and whatever spotted and speckled sheep that he had and goats, he's going to keep. But Laban being the master manipulator, you know, he manipulated with his wives. Now he's manipulated with his stock. He's saying being, he takes all of the spotted and speckled flock and gives them to his own sons to raise. Now, Jacob has none of the speckled or, or spotted flocks. So now in verse 37, this is where I want to focus in on. It says, Jacob then took some fresh branches from the poplar, almond, and plane trees and peeled off the strips of bark making white streaks on them. Then he placed these peeled branches in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink. For that was when, where they made it. And when they made it in front of the white streak branches, they gave birth to young that were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Jacob separated those lambs from Laban's flock, and at mating time, he turned the flocks to face Laban's animals and were, that were streaked or black. This is how he built his own flock instead of increases Laban's. So whenever the stronger females were ready to mate, Jacob would place the peeled branches in the watering troughs in front of them, and they would mate in front of the branches. But he didn't do this with the weaker ones, so the weaker lambs belonged to Laban, and the strong ones, stronger ones were Jacob's. As a result, Jacob became very wealthy with large flocks of sheep and goats, female and male servants, and many camels and donkeys. <clears throat> so we see here that Jacob, in his, in his plan to to gain wealth because he's been blessed by his work and um, he's been blessing Laban all these years. He decides to put these poles in front of, in front of the sheep at their watering troughs. And every time the sheep would go and drink and eat and, you know, mate, they would produce offspring. So the title of my message is, is called, What We Behold, You Produce. You know, what you spend, uh, the big point here is what you spend your time looking at will affect who you are and what you do. 
Um, so let's go back to the beginning. You know, God created the universe, the stars, the sky, the heavens, the earth. Then he created plants and animals, night and day. Then on the sixth day, he created man. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created human beings, human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this brings me to point number one. We were created to bear his image. You know, Adam and Eve were created in the likeness or the resemblance of the creator. So whatever the creator looked like, you know, we can see, look at ourselves. You know, God has eyes. He can see. He has a mouth. He can talk. He has ears. He can hear our prayers. He, he, has, he has nose. He has a sense of smell. He sits. He, he recognized the fragrance of our incense, of offering. So after God created man, he told them to be fruitful and multiply and, have, and take dominion over the earth. But of course, Adam and Eve's eternal stay in paradise was cut short by their own shortcomings. And when they sinned, they were kicked out of heaven, I mean Eden. From this point on, Adam and his descendants have now have no physical contact with God and they're not able to see their creator, ultimately they start to create idols or images of deities which they paid you know, homage to. The first instance of idols in the Bible are actually in Genesis 31. It says that Rachel stole her father's teraphim or an idol. You know, now man is making idols in the likeness of who they think their God is. They're, they're being creative and they use, they use animals, they use you know, just shapes, you know, and every tribe and culture begins to make idols in their likeness, in their imagination. Which brings me to point number two, the importance of sight. God gave us sight not only to see, but to appreciate the beauty of all that he has created. He has also given us mental sight, like imagination and vision, to come up with ideas and plans and also to dream dreams. He also gave us spiritual insight where we can discern spirits and even prophesy. Sight is important because, of course, it's needed to you know, accomplish the everyday things. I mean, imagine driving without your sight. You know, or you know, writing or creating things or you know, um, playing sports, watching sports, reading, etc. You know, we need our mental sight to plan out things, our vision to see the future and to imagine and to dream. You know, spiritual sight, which of course is faith. You guys know the saying, right? Seeing is believing. But I believe it's supposed to be this for us as Christians. Believing is seeing. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Our dilemma is that we are spiritually blind. Our spiritual sight is 10,000 more 10,000 times more important than our physical sight. And sin has left us blind and unaware. Unaware that we're even blind, you know. But, you know, John Newton, he wrote this verse. It says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once was lost, but now I am found. But blind was blind, but now I see. You know, when we look onto Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, he takes away that veil that we, so that we can see, 
so that we can have faith in God who's invisible to the naked eye. This brings me to my point number three. Perception impacts our outcome. As people of God, we have to learn to trust him. Learn to trust him first and foremost. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, beholding God is part of um, sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Sanctification is brought by focusing our attention onto God. And when we see more of who he is, our affection and awe grows too. You know, beholding God is part of renewal. Colossians 3.10 says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. We're renewed in knowledge. And the knowledge of God and his ways comes by turning our eyes upon his word. And we need it every day. <clears throat> Beholding God brings revelation of his will. And Romans 12, 1 to 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a, li- let them be a living and holy sacrifice that he will find acceptable. This is the truly way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Beholding God shapes our faith. In, in Psalms 11, uh, 115, verses 4 through 8, it says, Their idols are merely things of silver and gold, shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, and noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, and feet but cannot walk, and throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them. And as are all those who trust in them. You know, what we strive for and work for shapes our faith and trust, whether it be in God or in possessions. You know, nowadays, we are inundated with information 24-7. Seven days a week at, you know, a thousand miles per hour. You know, we got news programming. We got weather programming, sports, dramas, sitcoms, cooking shows, singing shows, dancing shows, right? You got do-it-yourself videos on fixing your carburetor, right? Um, You know, documentaries on Bob Ross or watching live stream videos of people live streaming their lives. (laughs) You know, you can catch up with friends old and new, right? Like you check out their Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. You know, you get, they got those algorithms, right, that um, track what you watch. And it's, it's funny because, like, you know, every time I look at something, like an ad, I sometimes it's clickbait, right? Once you click it, then everything, like, everything just pops out the same thing, you know. I click on computer screens, right? And the next five pages, I look, there's ads for computer screens. I click on, you know, tires for my truck. 
you know, then all of a sudden there's tires for sale, tires for sale, tires for sale, you know, <clears throat> you know, and the internet just blasts that back at you. What's even crazier is that all of this is accessible in the palm of your hand, right? What we spend hours on looking at screens at 60 frames per second and unknowingly become like the sheep that Jacob wrote, uh, rose in his flock, staring at our peeled poles, reprodu reproducing insecurity, doubt, anxiety, depression, how about this, impatience, anger, distrust, you know, all these things that leave destruction in its wake if we don't wake up and realize that it's God we have to pursue. You know, what, what is the pole in your hand, right? And Psalms 119 says, um, verses 36 to 7, 37 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revi revive me in your ways. In the Passion Translation of verse 37, it says, Help me turn my eyes away from the illusions so that I only pursue what is true. Drench my soul with life as I walk in your paths. You know, when the Israelites are in the desert wandering, you know, they, they complain to Moses and to God, you know, and at a certain point, you know, God got fed up a little bit, you know, and he decided, you got poisonous snakes, you know, all these poisonous snakes starts biting those who are complaining, you know, and then God told Moses to do something. So Moses put up a bronze snake on a pole, so when the people who were you know, you know, who were bitten because they were complaining, they were healed when they looked upon it, right? There's nothing about the pole that Moses did or Moses put up, nothing about the poles that Jacob put in front of his flock. It was God who did the miraculous. God did the healing for the Israelites. God did the multiplication for Jacob. It's our choice to look to God with the bad and the good in our lives. You know, in closing, when Moses was on the mountaintop, you know, spending time with God, you know, he's getting the Ten Commandments. You know, when, when he went to see the people, his, his face became, began to shine bright. You know, we got to be like, just like Moses, you know, spend time with God so that we can shine, right? It says, let your light so shine. And let us shine reflecting the glory of the Lord. You know, are we looking? Are we looking at idols that have eyes, but can't see, or ears that can't hear, have mouths can't speak? You know, what are you looking at today, and what is stirring up your affections? So, let's heed God's word and walk out carefully, giving Jesus the first fruits of our devotion and our delight. So good, Sugi. Thank you so much for sharing that. Let me set my notes up real quick here. Man, what poles are we staring at? And are they producing the kind of fruit that we want to see in our lives? What a great challenge. 
Now, for those on our preaching development team, we've been challenging them to slowly preach longer and longer messages. All right, my challenge is to preach a shorter message. Okay, that's the, that's the hard part for me, but that's what I'm going to try to do. As we've been reading Genesis these last two weeks, what's really jumped out at me is the sovereignty of God. Right, the sovereignty of God. And, and so that's what I really want to share with you about for just a few minutes. But I actually want to read to you from Romans chapter 9. Why? Because this passage in Romans chapter 9, Paul actually gives a great commentary on what we've been reading in Genesis the last couple of weeks. So let's go to Romans chapter 9. And starting in verse 6, it says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but... Through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That's actually Genesis chapter 21, which, which we just read recently, right? He's, God says, through Isaac, your descendants will be named, not through Ishmael. So even though Abraham had multiple children, before Isaac was even born, God had already chosen Isaac that he would be the child of promise that he would be the child who would carry on God's purpose with the Hebrew people. Verse 8, that is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. That's Genesis 18, right? When God spoke to Abram and Sarai and, and said a year from now I'm going to come back and, and you're going to have a son. So what we see here is that God in his sovereignty chose Isaac. Isaac didn't do anything to deserve it. And Isaac also couldn't do anything to take it away. Isaac was chosen before he was born because God is sovereign. Let's continue in verse 10. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. And that's Genesis chapter 25 where Rebecca, she's having this distress in her belly as these two babies are already fighting before they're even born. She went to the Lord for a word, and God gave her this word in Genesis 25, and the word was that there are two nations within your womb, but the older will serve the younger. So now God has chosen Jacob over Esau before either of them were even born, right? And what does it say? So that, uh, so that it's not based on anything that they've done, good or bad, and it's not based on works. It's simply based on God's sovereignty. God chose one and not the other. In verse 13, it says, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And that's quoting from Malachi. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, 
but on God who has mercy, right? So what a great commentary on the sovereignty of God. It's not up to man what God chooses. God gets to choose of his own volition, right? God gets to choose of his own will. And so my big picture point for you today is this, is that in his sovereignty, God can choose. Wait, no, I'm sorry. Go back to my my big picture point. Sorry, my teleprompter got thrown off on the back there. There it is. In his sovereignty, God can use us regardless of how we live, but we should still live according to his standards. In his sovereignty, God can use us regardless of how we live, but we should still live according to his standards. Right? So now let's go look at that definition of God's sovereignty, which is God can choose to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, within the confines of his nature. God can choose to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, within the confines of his nature. So, so that means God can always choose. Nothing controls God except that he always has to stay true to his nature. Right? And that's why we learn in the Bible that it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to dwell with sin. Right? It's impossible for God to do certain things because that would deny his own nature. But within the confines of his nature, God can choose to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. That is his sovereignty. As he said to Moses, right? I will choose to have mercy on whom I want and compassion on whom I want. Which means God can choose to bless who he wants and, and not bless who he wants, right? This is God's sovereignty. This is his choice. God chose Isaac, even though Isaac had done nothing. Why? Because it was God's choice. God chose Jacob before Jacob had done anything. Why? Because it was God's choice. God is sovereign. And so here's the thing. As we wrestle with this concept of God's sovereignty, that God can choose to do whatever he wants, and then we also can look at God's love and recognize that God loves us and that there is nothing that we can do to make him love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make him love us less. He already loves us with an everlasting love. Right? And so if God is going to choose when he wants to bless us, and if God loves us no matter what, then why not just go and live however we want to? Why not just go and do whatever we want? And if God chooses to bless us, whatever, and God's still going to love me even if I go do awful things, so why don't I just go do whatever I want because God is sovereign? I'm just going to, I can go make poor choices. I can live a selfish life. I can do my own thing and God will choose. Well, that's a wrong attitude. And that's the wrong way for us to grapple with this concept of God's sovereignty and with this concept of God's love. And so that's what I want to do today is just simply answer this question. If God is sovereign, why still make godly choices? If God is sovereign, why still make godly choices? I mean, God can use my life for his glory whenever he wants to, so why does it matter if I'm living a godly life or not? God can bless me whenever he wants to, or he could choose not to bless me whenever he wants to, so why does it matter if I live a godly life or not? Right? God could take me through a season of peace and happiness, or God could take me through a season of trial and suffering and difficulty. It's God's choice, so why does it matter if I live a godly life or not? 
Are you guys tracking with me here? So let's answer this question. Why does it still matter? Why should I still make godly choices even if God is sovereign? I got four for you really quick. The first one is this. Because you can still miss out on God's best. God can choose to bless you. God can use your life for his purposes. And yet you could still miss out on God's best. Consider Samson. God chose Samson in his sovereignty, and God used Samson as a judge in the nation of Israel. But Samson had awful character issues, just awful character issues. He had anger issues. He liked sleeping with prostitutes. He liked the drink, right? He, he had all sorts of character issues, and yet God continued to use him. And so it's like, oh, well, great. See, I could go do bad things, and God will use me too, but Samson missed out on God's best because instead of living a life serving the people of Israel and continuing to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines and their other oppressors, ultimately, Samson's love for women undid him and his life ended short and he missed out on God's best. So yeah, God could still choose to use us but we can still miss out on his best for our lives when we make poor choices and live in ungodly ways. The second one is there are still consequences to our actions. There are still consequences to our actions, right? We've been studying Jacob this week in the book of Genesis. And so Jacob's name means deceiver, and Jacob lived up to his name. He was a deceiver, but in God's sovereignty, he was still chosen. And nothing that Jacob did took away the fact that he was chosen. So you say, well, geez, I mean, Jacob got off easy, right? No, he did not. Jacob still faced the consequences of his deception, even though he was still God's chosen man. Think about this. Deception begets more deception. Manipulation begets more manipulation. And so Jacob was a deceiver. So guess what he got in his life? People all around him who kept doing more deception. Right? We already heard from Sugi about Laban's treachery, right? That Laban kept deceiving Jacob. First, after Jacob worked seven years to get the woman of his dreams, Laban tricked him and gave him his older daughter instead. And by the time Jacob realized it, he'd already consummated the marriage. It was too late to go back. And then Jacob kept cheating him out of his wealth, as Sugi shared with us about changing out the flocks. So he ends up serving Laban, who continually manipulates him. And then his wife, Rachel, steals the father's idols as they are secretly sneaking away from Laban's land. And so Laban comes hunting after them, and there's all this deception now within Jacob's wives. And then when Jacob has children, his children sell their younger brother into slavery and then go back and deceive Jacob by telling them a story about how Joseph was dead. So Jacob did not get off easy. There were still consequences for his actions. Just because he was God's chosen man, he still lived a life surrounded by deception because of his actions. Listen, when I came to Christ, I experienced so much grace and freedom. I experienced so much forgiveness. I was made brand new. God set me on a new course in life. But you know what? When I experienced all of that salvation in Christ Jesus, I was still on probation for my felonies. 
My credit was still ruined because of the truck that I had repossessed because I was running in my addiction. Right? I still had all sorts of issues in my family because of all the messed up, broken things I had done while I was running in my addiction. Right? I was still struggling to get a job and make money. Right? So just because I experienced the salvation of Jesus doesn't mean that all my consequences went away. I still had to deal with all of that. So yeah, God could still use you, but we're still going to face the consequences of our actions. Number three, and Sugi already touched on this, we are still Christ's image bearers. Why should we live a godly life? Because we are Christ's image bearers. Right? Sugi read to us from 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we are being transformed more and more into his image The more that we behold his glory, the more that we reflect his glory. Listen, as followers of Jesus, it's not just about whether we go to heaven or not. It's about the fact that the Spirit of God has been deposited inside of us and that therefore we have died to sin. And Romans 6, 2, Paul said, how can we who have died to sin continue to live in it? And as this Holy Spirit was deposited into us, Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 20 and 21, that we are ambassadors of Christ, that we are ministers of reconciliation, and and that he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. We are still image bearers of Jesus. Roy did a great job two Sundays ago talking about the blessed life, that the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 are an expression of the character of Jesus and that our calling to live by those Beatitudes is so that we would continue to express the image of Jesus through our lives. So yeah, you could get away with living an awful life, You might even get away with it and go to heaven. But you missed out on the very purpose for which you were created, which was to be an image bearer of Jesus. And finally, number four, let me have the worship team come back up today. Why still live a godly life? Because some of God's promises are still conditional. Because some of God's promises are still conditional. Just looking at the New Testament, I mean, we could look at the Old Testament and even God's covenant with the Hebrew people was conditional, right? God said, if you will do this and if you will do this, then I will be your God for all eternity. And when they stopped doing those things... God lifted his hand of blessing and judgment came against the children of Israel. We get into the New Testament, right? James 1.12, we will receive the crown of life if we persevere under trial, right? Matthew 6.14, we will be forgiven if we forgive. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, we will receive answers to our prayers if we keep asking and seeking and knocking. Are you guys following with me? Matthew 24. We will be given authority over everything in God's kingdom if the master finds us doing what we're supposed to be doing. Matthew chapter 25. We will receive much if we are faithful in the little things. The promises of God are still conditional. So listen, yes, God can choose you, He can use you. He can bless you. You might even find your way into heaven. 
But if we choose to not live godly lives because of the excuse of the sovereignty of God, we will still face consequences. We will miss out on God's best. We will miss out on his promises. And we will miss out on the very purpose for which we were created, which was to be image bearers of Christ Jesus. Amen? Will you stand together with me today? Come on, I want to pray for you, and then we're going to finish today by worshiping a little more and allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts. But let's be challenged today. What are the poles that we are looking at in our lives? And if that pole is the smartphone we hold in our hand, or is that pole the websites that we look up? Is that pole what we're watching on TV? Is that pole the anxious thoughts that we consume ourselves with? What poles are we looking at that are producing fruit in our lives that we don't want? And can we take the challenge from Sugi today to put our eyes back on Jesus, to focus our devotion on him so that we can reproduce godly fruit in our lives? And can we take the challenge today that we're not going to choose to serve God because we're either in a season of blessing or we're in a season of persecution? We're not going to choose God because, or we're not going to choose how we live because, well, God's going to love me no matter what. We're not going to choose how we live because, well, God can just use me if he wants to. Why does it matter? No. We're going to choose how we live because we are the image bearers of Christ Jesus. Because we have been transformed from the inside out. And how can we continue to live in sin if we have died to that sin? And how can we live short of God's purpose when he paid everything for us? But instead, can we live more and more like him, a greater reflection of the nature of Jesus, that we might see every promise of God fulfilled in our lives? And that most of all, that we don't see the consequences of our actions not only surround us, but be passed down to the next generation. We don't want what Jacob got. Even if he was chosen in God's sovereignty, we don't want what Jacob got. Jesus, I just pray for all of us right now. Would you speak to each one of our hearts? Lord God, open our hearts wide that we would be willing to be challenged, that we would be willing to be corrected. Oh, Lord God, that you could come in and you could do some surgery within us even right now, and we won't fight it, Lord. We won't fight it, Lord, but we surrender ourselves to you. Let us leave here today more like Jesus because we beheld your glory, Lord. Let us leave here today more like Jesus because we allowed your word to transform us, Lord. Let us leave here today with a fresh commitment upon our hearts because we're going to respond to the word of God and what was preached today. Let the truth shape us and transform us. Let our surrender unto the Lord make us more like him and less like the world. Jesus, would you work in us today? We surrender ourselves before you. We are your children, Lord. Shape us, teach us, discipline us, encourage us as a father would his own children. Ah, that we might become a better reflection of you and that we might live the lives you have called us to live. We thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, let the Holy Spirit speak to you as we worship.